Hello and welcome to the Kids Media Club podcast. In this series, we talk about what's happening in kids media from Roblox to Disney and beyond. I'm Andy Williams. And I'm Joe Redfern. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about the big news of the week, uh, the change in leadership at Disney, amongst other things. Uh, and then come on to kind of how that kind of impacts and, and wider trends in discoverability, this huge discoverability problem that lots of platforms seem to be having. So uh, we're here again with Emily Horgan and we'll kick off this week's podcast. Yeah. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Emily Horgan. I'm an independent uh, kids media consultant. And yeah, I mean, the biggest news this this week is undoubtedly the, the Disney leadership change. Uh, Chapek is out. Bob Chapek is out. Battle of the Bobs. Bob Chapek is out. Bob Iger is back in. I mean, there's so much uh, analysis going on about this right now. There's so much like press-based hysteria. Um, it is a big move. Obviously, uh, Disney have had had one of the worst quarters ever in their last latest earnings call. Um, but the the path for Bob Chapek has been bumpy since the start. I mean, obviously, he came in to Disney literally at the cusp of the pandemic, probably yeah. a bit unbeknownst, blindsided um, by that. Um, that had great, uh, that, a, that a great upside in terms of streaming was supercharged by the pandemic. Disney's uh, forecasts for subscribers uh, over their first five years of their streaming platform launch were supercharged. So I think it was like 60 to 90 by 2024 they were targeting and they, they had like 100 by about two years in. So you know, there's been there's been pros, but it's also been very, very, very tricky for, for Disney. Obviously, production closed on, on movies, cinemas closed, parks closed. Um, so it's been it's been a wild ride for Chapek. There's n no question about that. I think a lot of the issue has been his the way he's handled it, his 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 personality. <laughs> Sorry, Bob, it's not you. It's just your personality. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or the beard. <laughs> <laughs> here at the kids media podcast but um yeah it's just been it's been crazy so um a very very difficult time for him I think yeah and what do you what do you make of the timing of the announcements because Andy and I were having a bit of debate about this um this week in terms of I just happened to wake up at 4am on Monday morning and, and saw my LinkedIn and kind of lit up with the news and it seemed an odd time to make an announcement on the Sunday evening before Thanksgiving week, um, which implied that it might have happened rather quicker than you'd have thought. But then, you know, Andy makes the point that he's had a bit of a PR problem for a while. But what's your what's your sense in terms of it all, all coming to a head seemingly rather quickly at the back end of last week? Do you know what? The amount of people who happened to be awake on that Monday, like you're not the only one, Joe. I know like three or four other UK based people who were like, oh, I happened to be awake. And I looked at my phone and I'm like, OMG, I was waiting to text you since like five. I'm like, what are you all doing? Um, timing <laughs> very quick. Uh, I think for, personally for me, I think it was a case of Iger finally agreeing to come back. And I think once that was in scope, because I, I, I'd read... As, as, as recently as this month, he had said to people, it's not going to happen. Um, and I think probably he gave, like he opened the little, he opened the door a little bit to kind of consider it. And the board were just like, ah, okay, in signing you, getting this deal done before you have an idea, have any notion of, you know, giving this a second thought. I think that to me feels right. I mean, the JPEG thing is interesting. The board renewed him in June. 
they could have just let let it all peter out. Maybe there wasn't another option. I think that's something that has been you know a challenge. Um, the the success like the succession of Iger to Chapek was uh, is another story, but but how to replace Chapek has been tricky. Iger is probably the only easy answer or, or the the only kind of appealing answer because anything else would have been you know people with internally to the company everyone kind of there seems to be this feeling that there wasn't uh, a clear successor there not under his guard not um, enough bobs <laughs> yeah not enough bobs too many bobs spoil the broth but <laughs> yeah peter rice was kind of in the frame who's a who's a brit um maybe because he's called peter and not bob maybe that was a kind of um an obstacle my gut on it is i sort of had i felt the kind of the the hourglass, the kind of sands were kind of um, draining away from the moment that uh, Chapek kind of mishandled the whole thing with Florida and the don't say gay kind of episode I felt that was a kind of a disaster culturally. And he just managed to amplify that story in a way that didn't do him any good, I felt. And I felt that there was, there was a kind of cultural mismatch between him and the and the brand, it felt a bit. I mean, the other thing I thought was probably an off-the-cuff remark, and it would have been fine if it had been another studio, but uh, JPEG saying that only kids watch animated movies felt like a kind of such a careless comment to make if you're the head of Disney. It's, it seemed bizarre. And so I felt that when the numbers weren't going his way, he couldn't really rely on the support of the, of the company, really. It's kind of my feeling. Yeah, and it's, it certainly seems like he lost the support of some key people, particularly in latter weeks. You know, I was reading rumours of people approaching the board saying they were going to quit if uh, Chapek didn't go. So, you know, clearly he lost the dressing room, to use that um, uh, um, analogy. But I want to come back to kind of, you know, I've seen several people, you know, after the Ferrari had died down, saying, well, really... Chapek was only steering a ship whose course had been set by Iger anyway. And with the exception of a couple of things that he did, you know, reorging the distribution business and putting um, Kareem Daniel in, you know, really? He was just carrying on what had already been set in train. Is, do you not think that's right, Andy? I don't know enough about kind of who was kind of fingerprints on kind of which key decisions. Yeah, I mean, I have to say for me... I. I honestly think it boils down to that personality issue, right? Like, so, yes, I I, I, I see it, Joe, right? Like, and I was, I was there, like, it, the, the whole streaming first approach is, was Iger's, um, you know, you can argue the, the reorg under Kareem really alienated creatives, but the bottom line is Chapek made the company put streaming first, and that is a strong call. Uh, you know, right, right or wrong, it feels like it was the right direction. It was the direction they should be going in. And I think it's this personality thing that is the thing that's undone. I'm like, again, the Florida, the Florida issue, Andy, like that would have been there for any CEO to deal with, Absolutely. you know, and it would have been, it was always going to be tricky and messy for Disney to integrate with that, with that situation. Um, it's just that his personality on top of that is, is the problem. And again, dealing with, dealing with the, uh, the, the, the kind of tone deaf presentation of, of earnings, you know, in the last month, like trying to spin it like, it's all everything's positive and then having this kind of reactionary um moment after earnings like not understanding the kind of the presentation of the issue why that matters how like that that emotional intelligence to see 
the to see the dressing room, if you know what I mean, rather than I would argue the hard decisions within the within themselves. Okay, because there was always going to be hard decisions in the entire in the entire uh, the entire tenure as CEO. Disney are a huge company. They had made this massive pivot. The pandemic hit on top of that. You know, politics in the US and everywhere is going more. You know, the the right wing, the, the surge of the right wing, and 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 that kind of the the issues that come with that are all part of it. So, you know, th- those are always going to be difficult calls. And I don't think, I don't think you can say that thing he did was the biggest mistake ever. You know, other than the gaffes that he's made. Do you know what I mean? So, like, it's, we're yet to see whether these other policies are going to net out or not. You know. But there were always going to be hard decisions, and was always they were never going to be hundred percent right. There's nothing that you can say you did that hundred percent wrong, other yeah. than his presentation and his personality and how he's handled those as a kind of figurehead. I would say. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely right. And there's a lot of chat on social media that part of the problem is that um, Chapek came from Parks, as I understand it, um, and the, some people kind of are, are proposing that actually you need somebody that comes more from the entertainment side of the business to run something like Disney. That that if you're in charge of the parks, basically you're in charge of a kind of an enormous operation, whereas when suddenly you're CEO of Disney, you're having to deal with a lot of talent that has kind of high profile and visibility. And, and it's a different negotiation if you're dealing with that kind of talent versus the the talent that works for you in the parks yeah i mean and i think that's one of the things that he his personality didn't quite kind of fit with really yeah i think that's fair i mean the, the kickoff of chapex kind of the, the the question mark for me was the scarlett johansson you know the the, the pay issue there the pay issues there with black widow you know and, and then the kind of genderized attack on her very publicly about you know how dare she want to get paid when people aren't being, you know, people are losing their jobs, you know, as Disney extract whatever for shareholders, right? Like, you know, it was, it was, it was badly handled and he thought he was invincible and he thought he was bigger than, you know, and he thinks he's bigger than her, whatever. Like it, it just, it was, it, it, it's not, it's, it was badly handled and it's honestly not what Disney shareholders have been used, had been used to under Iger, you know, the, the pure polish of Iger in those situations. Yeah never really ever as in my memory ever setting a foot wrong in that sense so very different for them to kind of digest uh so yeah i do feel like that's that's a real question um you know and again it's, it, it boils down to personality you know mm. and in terms of i mean it's interesting looking at disney but let's not forget it doesn't exist in isolation and we would, you mentioned wall street there and it's interesting because you know what the the stock price rallied a bit as soon as they announced Iger was back, you know, and but you know Netflix stock is also down fifty odd percent year on year. You know, actually Disney's is only down thirty six when I looked this morning, which actually means it's faring slightly better than Netflix. You've got Warner Brothers that are fifty seven percent down, Roblox to cite another platform, you know, seventy percent down. So actually. They're not on their own in this. They are navigating, to use that, you know, kind of maritime analogy again, uh, choppy seas. Um, but, you know, it, it, you know, Wall Street is looking for people to come and kind of grow streamer subs numbers. Well, you know, 
that's getting ever harder. So really, you know, doesn't that make Bob Iger's job this next two year search for a successor even more difficult? Who's going to want that job? Well, there's, a, there's an interesting theory that's been floated on um, social media that I'm not sure either of you have caught. And I'm sure it's kind of um, nonsense. But um, Iger's reputation as a deal maker is kind of unsurpassed that, you know, he, he made the deal with Pixar, made the deal with um, Lucas and made the deal with Marvel. And some people have been speculated that he's been brought back to basically sell Disney to Apple. The Disney Apple 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 conversation has been you know around for a while, and you, it, it's easy like to simplify it. It's easy to see the alignment, you know. It's easy to see the brand alignment. It's easy to see you know and the, the relationships and stuff that have existed through the Pixar deal, etc. That that sit there. Um, that's clear to me to see. I the thing is right for me is that there had to be a question about JPEG, right? And he was never going to pick his own successor because, he, you know, he would have had this vision of having a long term, you know, stewardship of the company. So bringing Iger back back in opens the doors to lots of these other executives who were in in the lane for this uh, job over the years. Um, you mentioned Peter Rice, Andy, he'd left in June. Uh, I, I don't think Alan Horn would be part of it because he's more of a studio creative person. But, you know even the conversations with the likes of, you know, Tom Staggs and Kevin Mayer over at Candle, Candle Media. I know that's going to be complicated. It's not going to be straightforward, but like JPEG, like there was never going to be succession with JPEG. They had to stay with him. And so with Iger, they got a second chance to pick that. Obviously the problem with that being the one thing Iger bundled in the whole, uh, in his whole tenure was succession. You know, there was two or three times before where he was due to set down, step down. He didn't. There was, two or three people heir apparent who then you know had left the company moved on to the stuff you know noses out of the joint and and and, and then they maybe could have been better candidates uh so there's been this kind of hesitancy this kind of um yeah this hesitancy from him to to double down and, and to be decisive about it and then he was decisive and it turned out to be the wrong person it would seem so at least it resets the opportunity a bit but it's still his kind of monkey on his back and it's been a monkey on his back probably for the past five years there's more to develop on this story and there already is obviously Kareem Daniels gone and I think there's going to be far more that's going to be happening in the next few weeks and and then it'll be a little bit longer before we see what the vision is but there has to be one there because there's no way he would have come back just to hang himself <laughs> he's far too savvy for that yeah and already he's the changes that he's made indicate that he kind of wants to align it around creatives and storytellers in a way that he feels like those areas have maybe been alienated a bit over the over the recent um, recent period. I, I saw somebody saying that um, Kareem Daniel, who was the chairman of Disney Media, that was was let go by Aga, was responsible for for kind of blocking any theatrical uh, release for Luca and Turning Red, and and so I, some people are interpreting that as a kind of a way to. Maybe that indicates a change in attitude in terms of theatrical releases for Pixar. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I did note that it, one of the first things Iger did was bring it back to that kind of the core values of Walt, which was a, a real kind of, you know, dog whistle to all of the, the Disney 
kind of, you know, we're bringing it back and, and, you know, but it worked, you know, I saw any number of employees on Twitter then celebrating that. So be interesting to see if they, they rally around him as he executes his plan for succession a second time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just yeah. not make it a third time, Bob. <laughs> third time <laughs> third time. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting what you heard, Andy. I hadn't, I hadn't heard that narrative around Luca and turning red as part of this. I, I, you know, granted, I hadn't been, haven't maybe been on Twitter as much as you have in the past two days because <laughs> you've been following this really closely. But uh, yeah, that's you know that's a, that's an interesting example. I think turning red at the time was a question as to whether it could have had a real potential. Luca probably less so. And in terms of, well, we can, you know, we've we've analysed the uh, Disney shenanigans and I think there's probably uh, more to come, as you said, in the next few weeks of that. But um, keeping on that animation theme, um, let's talk about how, well, the, the um, how animation is faring over at Netflix, which is another topic that we've spoken about <laughs> in the past in terms of, uh, they, they don't seem to have quite nailed it yet, Emily, and this is mm. something you look at a lot. Keeping on the theme of ball fumbling, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, this is a, this is a really interesting development I'm seeing in Netflix. I wouldn't have predicted this, by the way, honestly. Um, animated movies have, it, there's multiple data points as to how they perform well in streaming. We've seen lots of animated movies cut through, um, obviously easily for Disney, but for, for Netflix as well. And I was really excited about this period leading into Christmas where there was like mm. a ton of very, very highly fated animated movies hitting the service um you know maybe a question on their broad commercial appeal but definitely really clear on the in the kind of creative the creative uh chops of them so um it started with Wendell and Wild which didn't feature in the global top 10 Mm -hmm. Uh, and Wendell and Wild was kind of door jammed between uh kids and, and, and adults it's, it's an animated movie but it has a, thir- a PG-13 rating so it's not available in the kids section of Netflix um, that hasn't been an issue for the kind of broad family live action movies that they've run out like The Adam Project Enola Holmes 2 for example right now is big uh, The House for Good and Evil you know that's kind of served live action movies so they've had that PG that, 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 that 13 plus rating and they've sat in the, in the broad um adult or the non-kid section whereas Wendell and Wilde it seems to have totally handicapped it um now it, it's a tricky film you know like it's 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 definitely uh edgy it's um you know subject matter is is is, is in depth you know like it's it, it is it is it, it deserves a pg-13 rating but um that was one that was the first one that was like where is that why are we not seeing performance for that uh since then we've seen other big ones, which include Richard Linklater's uh, Apollo Ten and a Half, um, My Father's Dragon from Cartoon Saloon, haven't hit any of those global top tens yet. The global top ten hour hours viewed, um, and there's also been a few other, you know, more clear, um, you know, more clear, clearly broadly targeting uh, animated movies. So things like Teenage uh, Mutant Ninja Turtles, a movie, um, the soccer football movie, like none of these have featured, and like. Like the Netflix Global Top 10 Hours Viewed has been around for over a year now, like eight, nearly 18 months. And we've seen things like Chicken Hair on the Hamster of Darkness, one of my favorite films to reference. Um, you know, the Jungle mo- the, the, the jungle, jungle Beat movie. Like we've seen, we've, o- we've often seen, okay, yes, we've seen the big 
pay one, you know, movies like Minions and and even even when they're in their in further windows, Minions and Shrek and and stuff feature. We saw the Sea Beast feature, their biggest animated movie to date. Uh, but we have seen these other smaller, B, you know, I don't say B list, but you know, they're just they're straight to TV animated movies hit in. And so it's quite surprising that we haven't seen this with um with with the movies that are coming out coming out right now. So I don't know if it's like a deprioritization of the algorithm. I I just it, it just feels I, I there is maybe a question on the, the 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 broad appeal of the movies, but are they being marketed correctly? Are they being you know are they being what you know, how are they being served? How are they being like how are how is sampling a, able to happen for for that audience? And maybe it's part of a bigger question about discovery on the platform as well. So it's just, it's a head scratcher for me. I was super excited to like, I put charts on all of this and now I need to think of something else to post on LinkedIn because I don't have any data, so. <laughs> <laughs> so you you have views on uh, on the promo and the discoverability and it's clear that there is a discovery uh, discoverability issue at Netflix. I'd argue there's a, a discoverability problem in gen- general, just with the sheer amount of stuff there is there for us to watch, play. Uh, and engage with. But Andy, you had some thoughts on discoverability on Netflix. Uh, and given that it's part of your background, what are your views on it? Yeah, so, yeah, I kind of, my background was I started in promo, on-air promos um, when you had kind of more linear scheduled kids' channels. Um, and the advantage there is that you could really build awareness for a new show that the, the audience were coming cold to, that they didn't have any kind of, there was no legacy to that show you could kind of build awareness and kind of really tease it and and by the time it was on air the audience had encountered kind of countless trailers for it and promos for it and and they already kind of had a taste for what the show was going to be like you you could kind of you could teach them why they were going to love this show or this movie and with the streamers it's not quite as easy you don't have that kind of framework to really be able to do that you don't encounter promos in the same way and that they've kind of had that um very data driven the audience will tell us kind of what's working we'll build it and and they'll come but for a quirky unusual movie or series i just don't think you can rely on the audience to just come to it cold and i think they they need some way in which you can kind of show them and sort of why they're going to love My Father's Dragon or Wendell and Wild, and I think, and I think that's a that's a kind of real challenge for for the streamers. Yeah, I think it, it extends to platforms like Roblox as well in terms of this almost choice paralysis, where there is so much that actually it's really difficult for the audience, the viewers, the players to to make a choice without having been given a little bit more information, which, you know, in your case, Andy, is the on-air promos. You know, give us a reason to choose this product. It's marketing 101. And I wonder if the, you know, these platforms, Netflix, Disney, Warner Brothers, Roblox included, have, have kind of lost sight of that, thinking, like you say, rather throw up everything and we'll please everyone. And actually, at the end of the day, they're, pleasing no one yeah yeah it's a tough one isn't it because i mean the the obvious thing to me as a marketer is like if you want to sell a movie show the movie like show the show right like so that's that's the obvious way of doing it and there's only so far 
like thumbnails and stuff can 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 bring you. I like discovery methods and streaming. It still feel it's still, they still feel very much in their infancy. You know, it's thumbnails at the end of a show. It's top ten trendings. It's top ten most liked. I know I, I definitely saw recently on, you know, in 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 some of those user uh, UXs like top ten most liked top 10 comedies, like trying to curate things into those kind, kinds of lists. Um, daily recommendations, obviously new, you know, but it still feels very much in, a, in, in its infancy. I mean, Netflix have used YouTube to, to, to push that sampling in an, in an audiovisual way. They've obviously premiered episodes there. Um, so it, it still feels like there's something missing. I don't, I wonder if the AVA, the ad supported tier will offer an opportunity for that kind of promotion. Andy, I think if it does, that's, that could yeah. have real, real, real potential. Um, but it is also interesting when you think of YouTube, because I don't think there is that issue on YouTube, right? Like we kind of know, no, it's not perfect platform, but it's very good at serving you, serving you more of what you want to see. And you don't, that paralysis, you, it's easy to go down a YouTube hole. Sometimes it's not that easy to go down a Netflix hole. You put on Netflix, and you're like, yeah, I'm not really sure I want to watch. You know, um, whereas in YouTube, like platforms like YouTube and arguably TikTok, they lead you down these holes. They get your they get your tastes. They kind of get maybe what mood you're in even a bit more. And I suppose on on, on YouTube as well, it's you know obviously there is a huge there's there, there's a certain amount of the content on there is seeing a vast amount of the views, but at least the algorithm is open source in terms of people kind of understand what you need to do. They kind of understand what you need to do to cut through. There's a few strategies and tactics. Yes, they'll change as algorithms are tweaked and stuff like that, but at least there's a way of having control. Whereas with platforms like streamers like Netflix and probably the same as Roblox show, you give your content to them and then it, you don't really see, you don't have really any, your, your ability to impact it is kind of limited. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I think, you know, you, you, you look at Roblox and there are, 50-odd million experiences on the platform, but and, and such a small percentage of those are huge, but they do take the lion's share of traffic. One of the things I have discovered in Roblox that I think is interesting is, uh, and, and Netflix use it too, it's your friends are watching. And actually, for yeah. people, that's quite a powerful driver. But I think even then, in a sense, that's going to become increasingly less effective because kids these days and young people these days are not really, they're not as motivated by FOMO as we, we were and wanting to belong to a tribe. They're like, no, I'm an individual. I'll make my own choices. Thanks. So, you know, again, I think it's, um, it's interesting that the, the, those people that curate and write algorithms have really got to know their audience intimately to be able to create that algorithm to service them. And I think maybe TikTok do it really well. I think YouTube do it very well. I think it also has to do with the, you know, the interface and actually that coming back to that choice paralysis, it's very easy to go down a, a rabbit hole on TikTok because it's a vertical scroller. You know, I, I sit there sometimes in, in Netflix and see this sea of thumbnails and end up just walking away because I can't make my mind yeah. up. Watching rewatches of like CSI because it's on linear and you, when, you, when you flick back to your box. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that, that idea of FOMO, because like, that seems to be, there seems to be two clear ways and you see this on social that networks and interests are defined one is through your social network right so facebook going this person's connected to this and this person that we know that they're going to like this whereas the thing that tiktok has kind of revolutionized is your interests right if you're interested in something very niche like excel talk i've talked about in the past 
I like Excel talk, you know, but they get they get your interest and they're mm. able to pull you down that way rather than it being about where you're connected and what that means. Mm. I'm not sure streamers have got that interesting right. And I don't know whether it, it, it takes more watching because you need to be able to look at Wendell and Wilde and say, well, if you watch this show, this show or this show, we think you'll like that. You know, we, you should you should look at this because we think it's going to be something that you're into. It feels like there's something not c- connecting in terms of interest there on, on, on streaming. I don't know if it's the same on Roblox, Joe. I, I think it possibly is. You know, I think what we, we've come through this period of all of these platforms, their bandwidth is so huge. You know, it used to be with linear, you had a certain amount of real estate. And actually, we've come through this period where we've got streamers and we've got Roblox that have elastic sides. So you can mm. you can <laughs> uploading more. But, you know, again, I don't know whether it's a, a true macro trend or just my hunch. But, you know, I think then you look at the success of things like Bluey and realize that actually we might then be coming through that quality, uh, quantity and back to quality over quantity. And, and I wonder if we're on the cusp of that kind of um, point in the cycle again, whereas we've come through this voracious appetite for content on these platforms that can withstand vast amounts of it. And we're almost all kind of like rabbit and headlights because we, we, we are paralyzed by this choice. And then what do we do? We revert back to things that we know, like the Minions movie, enjoying that kind mm. of success. Or we go for something that is might not be there in such volume, but actually is a, a quality bar above. I don't know if you guys would agree with that. Yeah, it makes sense, I think. It mm. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's always a hard one, though, the, the ro- rolling the dice on those kind of like franchises like that, content like that. It, you know, we're all in the game to, like, in the, in the space that we're in, we're all in the game to make content we think is good. You know, and you always believe in what you're making. Um, but landing it is, like, that perfect storm of, like, it, you know, that it appeals in, in, in the various ways. Like, Bluey does, you know, it's preschool, but parents can be into it. Yeah, It's Australian, but they've managed to get it just the right way that it's super charming because of that. Um, you know, uh, it's just such a, it's yeah. You know, if we all had the magic formula, we'd all be millionaires. Mm. Do you do you um, think that streaming services are beginning to care more about quality over quantity? I think there. I think the difference is um, that there's a difference for a streaming for a streaming service right now. Mm. Um, you know, Apple TV Plus is definitely in quality. I I really feel that they have they commission kids shows that have an inherent good that seems yeah. to that just strikes me as what they what they are always looking for in their kids shows and everything I've seen them commission there's always like you know the kids someone uh, socio emotional kind of learning or, you know yeah. really good real goodness which Lovely again totally was a great example of that yeah 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 uh, still water as well um you know and that totally aligns with apple and it's the right thing for them to be doing for sure uh i think obviously disney has its legacy you know they, they know kids right they're going to continue doing what they what they do fantastically which is um creating the best content uh whether it's so, solely on their own back or it's you know acquisitions of things like bluey but before bluey you know they were instrumental in pj mass they were instrumental in miraculous ladybug like they have actually had their finger their fingerprints on a number of the biggest franchises even though you don't necessarily they're not disney franchises directly 
Um, Netflix, my concern is that they are going to go down the the kind of the lowest common denominator route with kids content, which means taking later licenses, less exclusivity of the content that just works. You know, so Cocomel just works. We'll take it at scale. It's proven. We're going to take it. We don't mind that everyone has it, but we're just going to have it. Little Angel. Um, and then like later, later uh, windows of, uh, you know, movies like obviously the DreamWorks, the DreamWorks and, and Illumination deal with them seems to be flowing quite, uh, you know, robustly. Uh, they obviously have that deal with DreamWorks on the animation and the animated series side. I think they'll continue that because it's just been such a long standing uh, collaboration. And I don't think NBC Universal's streaming strategy is in the place where that's going to end up being challenged there was a question about that probably two years ago but i think the, the answer is probably they'll they'll continue to arm steal that dreamworks content out um but but they'll kind of go for the low-hanging fruit rather than trying to strike out on their own and create their own franchises i i you know i've been watching them for obviously a lot for a while in depth and i don't think that that's what they're really going to do and this change with animated movies and this kind of like blah, 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 it seems to fit with that um with that journey uh i'd love to be wrong i'd love netflix to go and become the franchise machine and become disney like they said they wanted to do for many years but i i think they've looked at it and they've looked at the price and they've looked at the medicine and they don't want to take it <laughs> yeah i mean i for me i kind of feel like with netflix it's kind of whether they want to be hbo or walmart and i think they want to be walmart really they want to be a place where you can have there's a variety of different things. There isn't really a, an overarching brand value to all of the content. Um, I think that's kind of where they're going, really. I'd, in a way, I'd prefer if they said, you know what, this this is what a Netflix animated movie is. These, these are the brand values of a Netflix animated movie. But I can't see a kind of those consistent kind of principles across the stuff that they're commissioning. They, but they they were at one stage though, right? Like you know, with things like yeah. Saws Over the Moon, even the CBS fit stuff. But then it's like it just seems to be like I said, a bull fumble since then. Mm. Out too hard, too like just DreamWorks Illumination. Just give us your movies, we'll pay for them. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's uh, and and I kind of yeah, I kind of feel like that's a bit of a missed opportunity, really, because like yeah, like you said, I th- there was a kind of a, a brand value to some of that stuff. But it also doesn't always have to be AAA star quality. You know, like, I think, you know, they've done this great work with with, with their teen movies where they're, you know, they're creating them at scale and you know, at volume and, and they, they're fitting, they're, they're meeting that genre there, you know. It could have been, like, the likes of, uh, you know, Chicken Hair and the Hamster of Darkness. Like, go for those, go for the silly animated movies and, but market them properly. But, like, mm-hmm. if you create a home for those kind of direct to TV, direct to TV or direct to DVD movies. Like there's that, that's, there's value there. You know, like there, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's something people aren't really focusing on right now is animated movies that can be a bit, a bit cheaper, a bit, you know, and, and maybe they can build into a, like a bit of a franchise and support consumer, you know, like th- there's an opportunity there. Barbie have been doing it for years. Um, you know, things like Transformers have been doing that kind of thing for years. So th- I think there's space there. I think it is a good point. I hadn't really considered that kind of... Netflix almost has an identity problem as a brand. 
hasn't quite decided what it wants to be yet, whether it wants to have an identity and stand for something or whether it just wants to be the kind of the way wants to be Walmart. Yeah. yeah. I like yeah. that. That was a good analogy, Andy. Good one. <laughs> yeah. <Thanks>. No, <laughs> is that your own or did you get it off Twitter? <laughs> I don't know. I think it was mine. I'm saying it's mine. I think tweet, yeah. it then. tweet it before someone else does. It's a good yeah. one. <laughs> Definitely the subject for a, a future podcast, I think. Uh, well, I think that brings us to a close, doesn't it? I think we've covered quite a lot of ground there, actually, all uh, seemingly interlinked in this uh, crazy world we, in which we all work. Um, so thank you very much for joining us. And uh, yeah, listen in to the next episode of the Kids Media Club pod- podcast soon. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys.